Chapter 12 Sarah, a Woman of Faith Sarah was calm and quiet, and was not put in fear by any terror. There were several occasions on which she might have been much concerned and distressed. The first was in the breaking up of her house life. Her husband, Abraham, got a call to leave Ur of the Chaldees, Genesis 12, 1. They moved to Haran, a considerable journey. There are some women, unbelieving women, who would not have understood the move. Why does he want to go away from the land in which he lives, and from all our kindred, away to Haran? That would have been her question if she had not been a partaker in her husband's faith. An unbelieving woman would have said, A call from God? Nonsense! Fanaticism! I don't believe it! And when she saw that her husband intended to go, she would have been afraid and bewildered. Abraham went to Haran with his father Terah, and Terah died in Haran. Then God called him to go further, and they had to cross the Euphrates River and get right away into a land that he knew nothing about. This must have been a more severe trial still. When they packed up their goods on the camels and on the donkeys, and started with their train of servants and sheep and cattle, Sarah might very naturally have said, if she had been an unbelieving woman, Where are you going? I don't know, answered Abraham. What are you going for? What are you going to get? I don't know, Abraham replied. God has told me to go, but I don't know where I'm going to, and I cannot exactly say what I'm going for, except that God has said, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Genesis 12, 1-2. We do not read that Sarah ever asked these questions, or that she was ever troubled at all about them. Their possessions were put on the camel's backs, and away she journeyed, for God had called her husband to go, and she determined to go with him. Through floods or flames it mattered not to her. She felt safe with her husband's God, and she calmly journeyed on. She was not afraid with any amazement. 1 Peter 3, 6. Footnote. That is, she did not give in to fear and terror. She stayed calm and in peace during fearful occasions. Although we don't hear much about her, we know that she had to live in a tent all those years. The man is out abroad attending to his business, and he doesn't know much about the discomforts of home, not even in such homes as ours. But if you were called to give up your house and go and live in a tent, well, the husband might not mind it, but the wife would. It's a very demanding life for a housewife. Sarah travelled from day to day, and with the constant moving of the tent, as the cattle had to be taken to fresh pastures, it must have been a life of terrible discomfort. Yet Sarah never said a word about it. Wake up tomorrow morning and pull up every tent pin. Get all the canvas rolled away for you must move to another site. The sun scorches like an oven, but you must ride across the plain. If the night is cold with frost and heavy dews, canvas is still your only wall and roof. Remember, they were dwelling in tents as pilgrims and strangers, not for one day or two, nor for a few days a year, but for dozens of years at a time. It was bravely done by this good woman that she was not afraid with any amazement. Then there was a special time 
when Abraham put on his battle gear and went to war. Genesis 14. He heard that Kedoleamah had come down with tributary kings and swept away the cities of the plain, taking captive his nephew Lot. Abraham said, I will go and deliver him. Sarah could have said, My husband, you are an old man. Those gray locks should not be touched with the stains of warfare. She said nothing of the sort, but undoubtedly cheered him on and smiled as he invited some of his neighbors who lived nearby to go with him. Although her husband is gone, and all the herdsmen and servants round about the tents were all gone, she felt no distress from being left alone with her women servants. No, she sits at home as a queen, fearing no robbers, but abiding calmly and confidently in her God. Abraham has gone to battle, and she does not fear for him. She does not need to fear for him, for he defeated the kings. They were given like driven stubble to his bow. Isaiah 41, 2. And he came back laden with spoil. God was pleased with Sarah's quiet faith, because in troublous times she was not afraid with any amazement. Then, a little while later, that great trial of faith came that must have touched Sarah, even though its full force fell on her husband. She observed the sudden disappearance of her husband and his servant. Where is your master? He's not come in for breakfast. The servants say, He was up a great while before day, and he has gone with the servant, and with the donkey, and with Isaac. Genesis 22, 3. Abraham has not told her, for he had struggled enough with himself to take Isaac away to the mountain and offer him, and he could not bear to repeat the struggle in Sarah. He left without telling Sarah of his movements. This was a new state of things for her. He did not return all day. Where has your master gone? I never knew him to go away before without informing me. And where is Isaac? Oh, that Isaac! How she feared for her jewel, her delight, the child of promise, the wonder of her old age. He didn't come home that night, nor Abraham either, nor the next day, nor the next. Three days passed, and I can hardly picture the anxiety that would have fallen upon you if you had been Sarah, unless you had enjoyed Sarah's faith, for by faith in this trying case she was not afraid with any amazement. I imagine that it took three days for Abraham to come back again, so that it was nearly a week, and no Abraham and no Isaac. One would have thought she would have wandered about, crying, Where is my husband and where is my son? But not so. She calmly waited and said within herself, If he has gone, he has gone upon some necessary errand, and he will be under God's protection. God, who promised to bless him and to bless his seed, will not allow any evil to harm him. So Sarah rested quietly when others would have been in dire dismay. She was not afraid with any amazement. We hear so little said about Sarah that I am compelled to imagine what I feel she must have been like, because human nature is so like itself, and the effect of events upon us is very much like the effect that would have been produced upon the mind of Sarah. This is a point in which Christian women should seek to imitate Sarah. We should not let our hearts be troubled, but rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. What is this virtue? It is a calm, quiet trusting in God. It is freedom from fear, 
such as is described in another place in these words, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Psalm 112, 7. Or, as we read in David's words, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, 4. It is composure of mind, freedom from anxiety, the absence of irritability, and absolute deliverance from worry, so that whatever happens, trepidation does not seize upon the spirit, but the heart continues at its own quiet pace, delighting itself in a faithful God. This is the virtue that is worth a king's ransom, and Sarah had it. Whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. 1 Peter 3, 6. When is this virtue to be exercised by us? Well, it should be exercised at all times. If we are not self-composed when we are happy, we are not likely to be calm when we are sad. I notice that if I am at all pleased with the praise of a friend, I become in that degree open to be grieved by the criticism of an enemy. By however much you are delighted by prosperity, by so much you are likely to be depressed when adversity comes. But if you are calm, quiet, and happy, no more than that, when everything goes well, then you will be calm, quiet, and happy, not less than that, when everything goes wrong. To keep up a calm and steady frame of mind is something to aim at, just as the gardener desires an even temperature for his prized flowers. Who is to exercise this virtue? We are all to do so, but the text is especially directed to the sisterhood. I suppose women are exhorted to it because some of them are rather excitable, a little hysterical and emotional, and tend to be fearfully depressed and utterly carried away. I am not saying that this fault is general or common among women, nor am I blaming them, but I am only stating the fact that some are thus afflicted, and it is a happy, happy thing if they can master it so that they are not afraid with any amazement. This virtue especially serves in time of trouble, when a very serious trial threatens us. Then the Christian is not to say, What will I do now? I will never endure it. I cannot live through it. Surely God has forgotten me. This trouble will crush me. I will die of a broken heart. No, don't talk like that. If you are God's child, do not even think like that. In patience, try to lift up your head and remember Sarah, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. This is how it must be in times of personal sickness. How many are the pains and sufferings that fall to the lot of the sisterhood? But if you have faith, you will not be afraid with any amazement. I saw one who was about to suffer from the surgeon's knife. It was a serious operation, about which all stood in doubt. But I was happy to see her as composed in the prospect of it as though it had been a pleasure rather than a pain. A Christian should be similarly calmly resigned. I went to see an elderly sister who was nearly eighty years of age. She was dying with dropsy or edema and was unable to lie down in bed. She was forced to always sit up, a posture that allows little or no rest. When I entered her room, she welcomed me most enthusiastically, which perhaps was not too surprising, for she was greatly attached to her minister. 
The wonder lay in the fact that she expressed herself as being full of happiness, full of delight, and full of expectancy of being with Christ. I went to comfort her, but she comforted me. What could I say? She talked about the goodness of God with an eye as full of pleasure as if she had been a young woman speaking about the young companion of her marriage day. I was pleased to see one with such evident marks of long-continued pain upon her face who had such sweet peacefulness there, too. Yes, and with even more than peace, but with unspeakable joy in the Lord, such as I fear some who are in good health and strength have not yet learned. A Christian woman should not be afraid with any amazement, either in adversity or in sickness. But her holy patience should prove her to be a true daughter of Sarah and Abraham. Christian women in Peter's day were subject to persecution just as much as their husbands. They were locked up in prison, scourged, tortured, burned, or slain with a sword. One holy woman in the early days of the church was tossed upon the horns of bulls, another was made to sit in a red hot iron chair. They were tortured, not accepting deliverance. In the early days of martyrdom, the women were brave and courageous, as well as the men. They defied the tyrant to do his worst upon their mortal bodies, for their conquering spirits laughed at every torment. If persecuting times should come again, or if they are here already in some measure, do well, O daughters of Sarah, and be not afraid with any amazement. If you are called to some difficult duty, If you are obligated to do what you feel you cannot do, remember that anybody can do that which he can do. It is the believing person who does that which he cannot do. We achieve impossibilities by the power of the Almighty God. Do not be afraid, then, of any duty, but believe that you will be able to do it, for grace will be sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians 12.9 At last, in the expectation of death, May you not be afraid with any amazement. Oftentimes, a deathbed is vantage ground for a Christian. Where others show their fear and sometimes their terror, there should the believer show his peacefulness and his happy expectancy, not afraid with any amazement, no matter what the form of death may be. What is the excellence of this virtue? I will answer that question by saying it is due to God that we should not be afraid with any amazement. Such a God as we have should be trusted. Under the shadow of such a wing, fear becomes a sin. Psalm 36, 7, 57, 1, 63, 7, 91, 4. If God were other than He is, we might be afraid. But while he is such a God, it is due to him that fear is banished. Peacefulness is true worship. Calmness under alarming conditions is devotion. He worships best who is most calm in difficult times. Moreover, the excellence of this virtue is that it is most impressive to people. I don't think anything is more likely to impress the ungodly than the quiet peace of mind of a Christian in danger or near to death. If we can be happy then, our friends will ask, what makes them so calm? This usefulness is not just confined to others, but it is most useful to ourselves, for he who can be calm in times of trouble will be most likely to make his way through them. Once you become afraid, 
you cannot judge wisely as to your best course. You generally do wrong when you are frightened out of your confidence in God. When the heart begins palpitating, then the whole system is out of order for the battle of life. Be calm and watch your opportunity. Napoleon's victories were, to a large extent, due to the calmness of that masterly warrior, and you can depend upon it that it is so with you, Christian people. You will win if you can wait. Don't be in a hurry. Consider what you should do. Don't be so alarmed as to make haste. Be patient. Be calm. Wait on God's time, and you wait your own time. Wait upon God to open your mouth. Ask Him to guide your hand and to do everything for you. Calmness of mind is the mother of prudence and discretion. It gives the firm foothold that is needful for the warrior when he is about to deal a victorious blow. Those who cannot be amazed by fear will live to be amazed with mercy. How can we obtain it? That is the question. Remember that it is an outgrowth of faith. You will have it in proportion as you have faith. Have faith in God, and you will not be afraid with any amazement or dread. Very early in my preaching days, I had faith in God during times of thunderstorm. When I have walked out to preach, it has happened that I have been wet through with the storm, yet I felt no annoyance from the thunder and lightning. On one occasion, I turned aside, by reason of the extreme severity of the rain, to a little lone cottage, and I found a woman there with a child who seemed somewhat relieved when she had let me in, but previously she had been crying bitterly with sheer alarm and terror. She said, This is a little round lodge house, and the lightning comes in at every window. There's no place into which I can get to hide it from my eyes. I explained to her that I liked to see the lightning, for it showed me that an explosion was all over, and since I had lived to see the flash, it was clear it could now do me no harm. I told her that to hear the thunder was a splendid thing, that it was only God saying, It is all over. If you live to see the lightning flash, there's nothing to be afraid of. You would have been dead and would never have seen it if it had been sent to kill you. I tried to console her on religious grounds, and I remember well praying with her and making her as happy as a bird. It was my being so calm and quiet and praying with her that cheered her up. When I went on my way, I left her in peace. You may depend upon it that unless our own souls have peace, we cannot communicate it to others. In this way, we must believe in God about everything. It so happened that about that matter of the thunder and lightning, I did believe in God up to the very last degree, and therefore I could not be alarmed because of that. If you believe in God about any other subject, no matter what it is, you will have perfect peace with God about it. If you can believe God when you are in a storm at sea, that He holds the water in the hollow of His hand, Isaiah 40, 12, you will be at peace about the tempest. It is the thing that troubles you that you must believe about. When faith makes an application of her hand to the particular trial, then peace of mind will come to you. This holy calm also comes from walking with God. No spot is so peaceful as the secret place of a tabernacles of the Most High. Commune with God, and you will forget fear. 
Keep up daily fellowship with Christ in prayer, in praise, in service, in searching the Word, and in submitting your heart to the work of the Eternal Spirit, and as you walk with God, you will find yourself calm. You know how the poet William Cowper puts it, Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame. These go together. If you want to feed upon certain truths that will produce this calm of mind, first remember that God is full of love, and therefore nothing that God sends can harm His child. Take everything from the Lord as a token of love, even if it is a stroke of His rod or a cut of His knife. Everything from that dear hand must mean love. For He has said, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Isaiah 49, 16. When you accept every affliction as a token of love, then your fear will be ended.